we do not always value ourselves properly, we need God to do that. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's sermon, The Roles We Play and How God Sees Them. We will look at Saul in the book of 1 Samuel and analyze how he saw himself, how the people saw him, and who God saw Saul to be and how he used them for his plans to evaluate how we can properly assess who we are to ourselves and others. But more importantly, who are we and how do we fit in God's plans? I hope this sermon helps you to properly assess your value and the roles you play in this life. How we see ourselves the role we feel in others' desires and what God is doing in our lives can be different things. You see, oftentimes as people, we find it challenging to see ourselves honestly because we either fall on one or two spectrums. We either criticize ourselves too hard or we hold ourselves in too high of a regard. See, our pride and humility oftentimes cloud our assessment of who we are as a person, and sometimes that determines how we value ourselves and our self-worth to the group that God has put us in. And in regards to fulfilling the desires of other people's roles for relationships, We have to admit, whether we want to or not, that we are often fulfilling somebody else's desires in their lives. So, I want a wife. It wasn't necessarily that I said I want Gia for my wife. At some point, it got there. But I had already made up my mind to get married at some point in life. She filled a role, my desire to have a wife. I want children. I couldn't have picked out Femi and Yare, but when they came, I appreciated them for who they are. And that's in a lot of aspects of life. I want a friend. I desire to have a teacher. I desire to have a mentor, a job. I desire a role to be met, and there's a person that fills it who I might not have picked out at first, but once that role is filled by them, then they'll suffice for me. People can desire a position to be filled in their lives, and we sometimes just fit that role. And it's not a knock on who we are, but we have to understand that the desire for that relationship preceded us filling that relationship. And then last thought that I want us to put in the back of our mind before we go to the text is, That no matter how we see ourselves, no matter what position people want us to feel, God can utilize us for his purposes beyond all of that. And once we understand that, then we realize that how we see ourselves, what other role people desire to have filled that may be filled by us, it means nothing if we're not being moved, controlled by God through it for his purposes. You see, once we understand that, then what we can do is better navigate through this life in faith. 
knowing that God is ultimately in control and that if I'm going to align my will with God's wills, it doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter what other people's assessment of my actions are as long as I'm pleasing my God in the role that I am in. We will be okay. Now, as we go through 1 Samuel, this comes to a point, to a clear understanding of these concepts when Saul is selected as the king. And we're going to just look at brief passage in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And in this brief passage, we have come across Saul as a shepherd. Later, we find out that Saul is the tallest man in all of Israel. But Saul, as a shepherd, looking for some lost sheep. Saul, as a son of Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. And I will point out later, when we finish reading Judges, which we're still in the period of Judges under Samuel, the last judge, we find that Judges, the book proper, ends with this story of a civil war between the tribes of Benjamin and the rest of Israel. And the Benjamin tribe is almost wiped out. Matter of fact, the women of that tribe were wiped out so much so to the point to where when these men who had fled from this battle, I want to say 600 of them had fled from this battle and they needed wives, they couldn't find enough Benjamite women to suffice their need. So they had to go and take wives from other tribes and they kidnapped some. And the whole... Israelite nation, the whole Israelite people looked the other way because they saw that if the Benjamites did not take these women as wives, then there would be 11 tribes instead of the 12 that God had wanted. They would have been wiped out as a people. And this is the tribe that Saul comes from. And we see that the people, they desired a king, but God chose them. This biblical context kind of surrounding our thought. We're going to go straight to scripture now. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to start taking off at verse 15. Because we're going to forego where Saul leaves his father kiss to go look for the lost sheep. We're going to get to the point to where him and his servant have said there's a seer who can tell us where these sheep are. And this is where Saul and uh, Samuel meet presumably for the first time, at least first time in Scripture. 1 Samuel 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He would deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is on your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned? 
if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited, about thirty in number. Samuel said to the cook, Bring me the piece of meat I gave to you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the thigh with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, Here is what has been kept for you. Eat, because it was set aside for you for this occasion from the time I said I have invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. That's kind of interesting. Saul. The biggest man in all of Israel. How he sees himself. I am of the least, the smallest tribe. And of that tribe, I'm from the smallest clan. A big man sees himself real small. A man looking for some lost donkeys gets told that he is to be the king over Israel. Their first king, mind you. A man who looked small in his eyes, who didn't even have the ambition wherewithal within himself to try to take the kingship for himself, was granted it to him. And I dare I say he didn't see himself as someone who would be king. Because when it's time to announce that Saul is going to be king, what is Saul doing? Saul is hiding. And the Lord has to reveal to all of the people that it is this big, it's just, I, I just wish I could have seen it. This big man hiding among stuff. And when he comes out, he's a shoulder length above everybody. And that's your king. A person who starts with a, I would say, humble spirit. Who, who, who doesn't see a king in himself at first. Who's minding his own business. Who's looking for the sheep, the donkeys that are lost. Who does not even have a concern over ruling people. He seems like he can't even rule animals well. But yet God says... There's something in you that's worthwhile to be a leader over my people. And what Saul didn't see within himself, God saw. But what this tells us is that we must not look to how we see ourselves. Because there's a very real danger that no matter who you are, no matter how other people perceive you, not even how God sees you, you will not understand yourself as such. You could be the most skilled, the smartest, the biggest, the best person for a thing, for a role, for a position, and if you don't recognize it, you will not fulfill it. Saul, the biggest person in all of Israel, is hiding amongst the stuff when it is told for him to come out to show everybody that he is the king. A man who had been a shepherd his whole life, presumably, is now thrust into the seat of a king. 
something he hadn't been before. His father was still alive, so it doesn't seem like he had rule over a whole lot. He's still under the authority of his father. And he has some kind of humble assessment of himself. Am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? So a lot of times we have the same mentality as Saul. We see ourselves lowly. Why is God choosing me? I'm not special. Who am I to be the desired person for this role? The person that people look up to. If it was up to me, I'd find these lost donkeys and be about my business. I'm having a hard enough time doing that. How can I do what God wants me to do? And what's wrong with that is we are seeing ourselves from our own points of view. We're more capable than we realize, especially when God is guiding us. And what we have to come to the point is we have to utilize our talents ourselves for the service of God. And when we do that, a person who may appear to be inept in keeping something as simple as donkeys might actually be the person to be the first king. Now, we're not going to go into the rest of the story on how it ended because it didn't end well. But that's not how God wanted it. God chose Saul for a reason. A reason that Saul never fully understood. But Saul was selected because God saw something in Saul that Saul probably didn't even recognize within himself at first. And God does the same thing with us. He selects us all for his purpose, even if we don't recognize it when we're selected. Out about living your life, and then you recognize, I must answer this Christian call. What does that actually look like in your life? Yes, we've gotten baptized. But there's something more meaningful for each and every one of us that unless we tap into that, we will never actualize the person that God wants us to be and fulfill the role that he has placed us in. Am I saying we won't go to heaven? No. We're afforded that because of our salvation in Christ. But I believe, I believe that we can do greater things if we allow ourselves to be utilized by God for his purposes. And don't look at ourselves with our own eyes, but look at ourselves with God's. Don't look at how old we are. Don't look at what we have, what we don't have. Don't look at even what we think to be the reality of ourselves because sometimes that could be misleading. Saul proves that. The Bible exemplifies that a number of times. When Samuel goes to select the next king, what happens? He goes to the house of Jesse and they sit there and they wait 
until all the sons of Jesse are brought forward. And then there's this shepherd boy who's selected. And later we find out he had a heart after God. And he didn't allow himself to be confined to the box that others might have put him in as the youngest boy. As just a kid when he goes to fight Goliath. He sees himself as somebody who can be utilized for God to bring glory and honor to God. And he goes out in that strength. And so, we ourselves must operate with that same understanding. It's not about us. And it's not even where we start, but it's where God wants to take us. It's not where we are, but it's where we're going. Because when we stop seeing ourselves from our own eyes and see it from who God sees it as, we'll be able to accomplish great things no matter where we start. And realizing that that is not even about us and realizing that we can't see ourselves as the accurate assessment of our worth, we also have to realize that People often have motives and selfish desires, and those selfish desires are sometimes implanted <clears throat> upon us. In this passage that we read, Samuel tells Saul something that is oftentimes overlooked that I've alluded to a couple of times. And, and what he tells him is, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned? If it is not to you and your whole family line. You see, Saul is fulfilling the desire of all of Israel. Is that desire that Saul is a king? No. That desire is just that they have a king. And there was nothing special about Saul that they saw because if it was about Saul, then they would have presented Saul as the one as they wanted as king. God does that. But what really happens is, I think that the people had got into a dire straits. You see, in, in 8, 19, and 20, it says that it gives us a little insight, but it goes a little deeper in 10. But I'm going to start at 8, 19, and 20. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. You see what they wanted? They wanted a person to be a leader to go out and fight their battles. They just wanted a king. They didn't care who it was. They wanted somebody to present themselves as having authority and power and to go out and present the courage that they needed to lead them in and out of battles. But why is that? Jump over to 1 Samuel 11. And I think this is what's really pressing them for their desire to have a king. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead and all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. You see, in this instance, they're not looking for a king. They're looking for a treaty to have peace. But listen to what happens. 
But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jebesh said to him, give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. You see that? What they really wanted was somebody to go out and protect them against this imminent threat because their conditions in terms of peace was not accepted. He said, let me gouge out the right eye of every man. And then we can have peace. And they said, no. Let us go see if somebody will lead us out to battle. <laughs> because those are not acceptable terms of peace. So what we want is somebody who will portray as a king who we could put in the forefront, who will take us to fight against you. So we won't have to suffer the shame and the humiliation of having every man with one eye in our place. And so their desire for a king was selfish. As is a lot of the desires that we want for ourselves. And when we recognize that, then we can see our relationships with people a little bit more clearly. Because we recognize that sometimes it's not about us, but it's about a need being met in other people's lives. And what we can do is we can divorce ourselves from taking in all of the connotations that they might implant upon the role that we're filling for them and function as God would have us to in that role. So we want a king to lead us out to battle to fight against this king who wants to take out all of the eyes, this king of the Ammonites, who's going to take out all of our eyes if we can't find somebody to lead us. Well, what did God say? I'm your king. Samuel, don't be upset when they neglected you because they weren't rejecting you. They were really rejecting me. But I'm going to give them a king. And when I give them a king, tell them this is what it will be. He will tax you heavily. He will take the best of what you have. The very things that you were supposed to do for me, another man is going to do. And when that man is in place as a king, he will only be there as long as I allow him to because he still must function under my authority. And when we see ourselves fulfilling the desires of other people, no matter what role that is, we must function under the authority of God. Or that role that we play will be taken away and us with it. So the king is supposed to function in faith. The king is supposed to function with the understanding that the prophet is the one who's really have authority over him and telling him the word of God. And their king is only supposed to lead these people as God would lead them. And we know the first king didn't even see himself as a king. He was selected from finding lost sheep. And sometimes we find ourselves 
filling roles that we never even thought that we would fill. But somebody desired to have that relationship and we just happened to fit that role at that time and we function as that person's desire. But we must do so understanding who we are as God's child. Because when we do that, we'll not only build our relationship with God, we'll enhance the relationship that we have with the other person and we'll be glorifying God in our interaction with them and our obedience to him. And that will bring that relationship to a higher status. One that is actually where God wants it to be. So if you're filling that role as a child to somebody, a parent to somebody, a spouse, a friend, a co-worker, whatever role that you're feeling that a person desired to have filled by another person that you find yourself in, do that understanding that you have a responsibility as a child of God to let God determine how you function in that role. And when you function as God would have you as another person's desired and a role fulfilled, you'll enhance a relationship and you'll be a true blessing to that person way greater than you can be with your own understanding. Because we see that that is the very thing that caused Saul to lose the kingdom. As the king that they desired he functioned with his own understanding. And on two occasions, he did what he thought was best to appease people and not God, the one who made him king. Not the ones who wanted a king, but the one who made him king is who he should have been listening to. But he listened to the people whom were supposed to be serving him. First time, he's going to fight the Philistines. And Samuel has already told him, wait for me to offer a sacrifice to God. And the very thing that appears to be honoring God, he dishonors God. And that is what occasions Samuel to say, God has taken the kingdom from you and he's going to give it to somebody with a heart after him. Because he offered up a sacrifice when he wasn't supposed to. The second time is he doesn't kill all of the Amalekites, which God tells him to do. And he says, we have saved the best and we were going to offer him as a sacrifice to God. And what Samuel tells him is the disobedience is like witchcraft. And God will surely remove the kingdom from your hands. Because in both situations, he allowed the people to determine how he operated, how he functioned. And he didn't let his faith in the God who made him the king cause him to wait and do what God said. Because he was trying to live up to the desires of those who desired him. He wasn't living up to the commands of the one who placed him in the position to lead the people. And we're all placed in a position by God for God's purposes. And we must not allow those whom we are in relationship with to dictate, to determine 
how we are obedient to God in those roles. Because if we do, what we're going to do is we're going to lose out on the blessing that God really wants to give us because we're being his person in that position. And as we think about that, our final thought is when you think about this God who selects this person to fulfill a role that is desired, even if he doesn't initially want it, we have to overlook who people were or where they came from. Saul alludes to it a little bit. I'm from Benjamin, the least tribe of my family is the smallest clan. And most people would say, let's not get this person of low prestige. Let's get somebody who's very prestigious. Let's get the biggest clan and the most wealthiest family. And let's get their favorite son. And let's make him king. The one who's the people person that everybody knows. Let's make them the leader. Because we're already behind them anyway. We'll do what they say. And God's like, no. Well, let's get somebody from another tribe because the last time we heard about this tribe of Benjamin, they had actually went out and started a civil war and they set themselves up against all other tribes and they were almost wiped out. And there's still some bad blood between us, God. And I don't quite understand what you're doing. Why did you pick them? But God did. And what's amazing is that it doesn't quite say it like this in the Bible, but what I think God does is he reconciles Benjamin back to Israel by saying, I'm going to take the one that caused the most strife in your most recent history, and I'm going to select my leader from them to be your king. And he's going to unify you all. Because you want a king, not recognizing that I am your king, but you want a king to lead you out to battles and I'm going to take him and y'all going to go out to battle in this imminent threat with the Ammonites. I'm going to make him victorious and you're going to remember that you are all one people. And you're going to forget the fact that at one point these Benjamites gathered together and they fought against you. And I even allowed them to kill large numbers of you, but they were almost wiped out. But now I'm bringing you back together. And you wanted a king, but I selected him. And God has the authority, the right, the wisdom to choose whoever he wants to fill the purposes that he wants filled in this life. And if God has that right to do that, then we can't look at a person where they're from, what they've been through, who they are, and determine how God will utilize them for his purposes. We can't even do that for ourselves. Because God might use us for something that's so great, that's so other, that we're the first one to do it. And if we're not open to that, we won't fulfill the role that God has for us. Benjamin, your tribe will have the first king over Israel. Even though you guys just had a civil war. And the person that I'm going to pick as the first king is going to be somebody who doesn't even see themselves as somebody. It's not even somebody who we would even pick. He lost his father's donkeys. How's he going to lead man? He can't lead animals. 
but I'm going to pick him. And I'm going to put my spirit in him. And I'm going to lead him as far as he'll be obedient to me into leading my people. And nobody else would have selected Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. And some of us find ourselves in the same position. We would have been wrote off by people if we had not been selected by God for what God wants us to do. And being that we have been selected by God to fill the roles that he has placed us in, we shouldn't look to the past because we all come from something. We shouldn't look to our own strengths because we're all weak when compared against the things that God needs us to do and we can only do it with his strength. And we shouldn't look at how other people assess us. Because when we do, what we'll do is we'll find that we're people-pleasing and not pleasing God. And so we must come to a point in our lives to where we get past seeing ourselves as we see ourselves. To where we don't rely on a person outside of us assessing us and determining our worth, even though we might fulfill a role that they desire to have fulfilled, to where we actually are led by God and trust that God has selected us for the only thing that we can do and we must do it. He has us in our role for a purpose. The first thing we must do is have faith that he's selected us properly and that he's going to empower us to do what he's asked us to do. Second thing we must do is be obedient. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you or what anybody else says about you. As long as you're doing what God says, that's all that, that's all that matters. Because what God's going to ask us to do is going to take more than what we have. And what that means is he's going to supply us with his spirit to accomplish the goals that he wants for us. For some of us, that would be greater things than others but we all will receive the same reward which is an eternal residence in heaven with God and we're all going to need God's grace and God's strength to do what it is he wants us to do in the role that he has put us in my prayer is that we live up to what God has called us to and that we fully be the person that God wants us to be no matter what's going on in our lives. That means that at times we're going to have to overlook how we feel about ourselves. At times we're going to have to go against the grain and not worry about other, what other people say about us. And we're always going to have to go out in faith, trusting God to do what God wants us to do. Because if we were lacking in any of those, it's inevitable that we're going to fall short somewhere. <clears throat> But when we do, we have a Savior who understands us, who has died for us to forgive us of our shortcomings and has showed us that even through death, we have a faithful God who wants us, who loves us. And that's the only reason why he has a relationship with us. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And that's even better. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. 
If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.